Mic check. One, two, one, two. Yo, what's up, man? Is this thing on? <laughs> We're the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting, your weekly source for podcast news, tips, and tricks. From production to promotion and everything in between. I'm John Luckenball. And I'm Matthew Stevens. Two podcast experts ready to help you every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Queued Up Podcast on Podcasting. I'm Matthew Stevens, and as always, joined by my co-host and the owner of Queued Up Audio, John Luckenball. John, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing all right. I'm excited for this week. We're pumped up for some episodes that we've got in the future. We're pumped up for this episode specifically, and, and we've got some, I think, some engaging news here. Hopefully it's engaging. It is. I feel it is. According to a survey by Tech Survey 2021, radio listeners seem to be kind of flocking to podcasts. Uh, in total, 38% of radio listeners report listening to podcasts at least once a month. Now, to dive into that a little bit more specifically, uh, Tech Survey's 2021 annual survey is of the people who have opted into radio station email databases. So tend to probably be the, the more hardcore users uh, the hardcore radio listeners, 29% in total report that they listen to podcasts at least once a week with 14% of that being every single day. John, that's, that's not an insignificant amount. I mean, a little more than 30% uh, than a third, excuse me, say that they're, they're starting to really listen to podcasts at least a little bit every month. Um, and as we've seen over the the pandemic, that has kind of grown uh, pretty exponentially. So it's nice to have these numbers here of radio listeners specifically. It is. Uh, like we were talking about, I wonder how much that is for the casual listener also. Because like you said, if this is just for the hardcore listeners, then you got to expect that it's even a, <laughs> it's a much larger number than what, what we're even seeing here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one thing that we've we've talked about a lot is that content and the hosts tend to be the biggest reasons why people continue listening to any type of, of audio medium, really. Um, they like the hosts. They like the content that's out there, whether that's music, whether that's talk, whether that's jokes, whatever. If you've got that connection with a radio host and you're starting to turn away from that radio host to go to another medium, i.e. podcasting in this instance, that's kind of a big sign. And, and like you're saying, John, you know, if you've signed up for an email newsletter for your local radio station, you probably listen to radio a lot. I mean, I, I don't know too many people that sign up for newsletters for things that they never want to hear about. That's big news. Yeah. You know, Matt, I was thinking with the way the radio stations are going with turning their radio shows into podcasts and even the stuff that you're hearing live or that you're hearing on air being a podcast, I'd even say most of the times now, I wonder if they count for radio listens or podcast listens. You know, that's that's interesting. You're 100% right. We actually, I would love to know those statistics. And I don't know how, how radio stations or places like iHeartMedia, which tend to be kind of the biggest purveyor of that. Um, it's really a podcast, but we'll slap some music in there uh, in addition to it type yeah. of radio show. If they're counting that as that way, or if they're counting that as radio, because it is traditionally at least syndicated on radio that I know of. I mean, I think of like the nights with Alice Cooper and your yeah. John Tesh radio hours and mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know the various celebrity ones they've got on there that that tend to pop up from time to time. So yeah, it's a good point. I wonder if they'd be counted as both as a radio listen and a podcast listen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's you know what we'll we'll have to have somebody on soon about that uh, and and ask maybe a little bit more information. Uh, on how some of those things are calculated uh, more specifically, again, as those two, you know, radio and podcasting kind of merge in, in such a big way over the next handful of years, those are, are, are interesting data points that I think our listeners are going to want to know. More importantly, I want to know. I, 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 you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're actually ever going to get an answer to that, to be real with you. But, you know, as we're talking about this survey, John, it's over 42,000 radio listeners, again, the hardcore mm -hmm. radio listeners. So you can take some of this with a grain of salt. I mean, 42,000 is a significant sample size. It's not massive by any means, but it's, mm -hmm. it's good to, I think, get a, a good background of where you're going to be at. And I don't think it's going to be too far off the money. But what I found really interesting isn't the 38% of hardcore radio listeners are listening to podcasts. It's the fact that a third of the people that were surveyed said that podcasts are eating into their radio habits. Now the pandemic certainly helped that if you're not driving to work, yep. you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not listening to as much radio as, as maybe I used to <laughs> as I sit here at my desk in my house. You know, I imagine that's the case for a lot of people. We'll have to see how that maybe translates after the pandemic is over and people start going back. But the fact that again, a third of the hardcore radio listeners saying, you know, maybe I'm starting to tune away from radio and starting to tune more into podcasting where, uh, you know, I, I think you get a more one-on-one -on -one relationship with that host in that way, rather than radio. And I, 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 maybe it's just me, but it seems that a lot of radio listeners are feeling that same way. Again, it, it does that mean that they're going to start pushing away from radio and we're going to start seeing those numbers continue to decrease after the pandemic is over. We'll have to see, but I can say that uh, Jacob's media president, Fred Jacobs, the, the the owner of the Tech Survey 2021, does seem to be concerned about it. He said, look who's into podcasting, the audience that radio really needs in order to thrive and survive, young people, Gen Z, and millennials. Podcasting is erosive to AM, FM radio listening, especially among its biggest fans. One of the tough realities about podcasting is the more people move into podcasting, the more they gravitate away from commercial radio. So you kind of have it directly from the survey's mouth right there. That's something that they are legitimately concerned about, how they react, how they, how they change over the next year or two more specifically, will maybe dictate how well radio sticks around in its current format. Or if we see, like we were talking about before, podcasters maybe just get syndicated and that just becomes your your new radio stations. Well, that's what I was wondering. I'm wondering how much of that is radio shooting themselves in the foot too, because like I know around here locally, iHeart pretty much canned all their local radio shows and is now broadcasting national <laughs> national radio shows that, uh, I mean, your local audience doesn't relate to them as much. So I can see that if those local crews still produce a podcast, then obviously you're they're going to probably turn to that just because that's who they're familiar with over the last 20 or so years that, that they've been on the radio locally. You know, John, I think that's a really, really good point. I know in my last job, I, I was working with the NFL and, and uh, doing more sports oriented content. 
I know that, yeah, I mean, a lot of the radio shows that I were on were iHeartMedia mm-hmm. uh, stations. And then all of those guys started getting canned left and right uh, yep. about this time last year, actually. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, like, like, like I said, I think there's a certain connection you have with a host. And when you start taking that away, especially for sports content, and, and I'll use this as my own example, the national guys tend to not know as much about each individual team. They can give you the highlights, exactly. yep. but they're not going to give you, you know, this offensive lineman graded out to this. They're not going to know that information. They're not going to know who the backup right tackle is in the terms of football. Yep. <laughs> That's the difference there in, in terms of the local stations, the guys that maybe are a little bit more tuned into those things uh, versus the national guys that, again, you know, it, it is what it is. Even uh, going into the more local crews, I was talking to a local personality that was affected by this, and they said these national shows, they don't show up to your local local promotion gigs, you know, your, that you don't go to your local Home Depot and set up and and play music and, and engage with your, your local audience. So that's something that these radio stations are losing out on too. That's a really good point. Uh, yeah. I mean, y- you typically see, yeah, like the, the one Oh five point seven van somewhere, yep. you yeah. know, playing music at these various things. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and, and you're right. You haven't been seeing that maybe as much over the last handful of years as costs start getting cut. Uh, and, mm. and it's, you know, I mean, it's the business side of radio and, and podcasting and, and any type of media. You start looking at the, the 80-20 rule. Can I get 80% of the viewers for 20% of the cost? Then yes. Yeah. And like it or, or not, uh, that's, that's the reality in a lot of business. And, and, you know, this relates really well to television as well. I mean, we've been hearing for the last, what, decade now about cord cutters and how millennials are killing the cable industry. Yeah. And and we're seeing, you know, the the effects of that now is again certainly throughout the pandemic as as maybe paychecks got a little bit tighter uh and and budgets got a little bit tighter in, in households, you started seeing people maybe push away from that $100 cable subscription in an effort to pick and choose the content they specifically wanted to digest. Um and and again, I'll speak for myself. I mean, I'm I'm in my mid 30s. I don't watch as much TV. I watch maybe one or two things a day, but it's it's got to be content that I specifically want. I don't want to have to tune in at eight o'clock central for, you know, this show that I'm only going to be able to see at that time. I want to see bite-sized pieces of content the way that I want to see it. And I think we're seeing younger generations do the same thing. TikTok, Vines, Instagram, Snapchats, all of those things are becoming so big because again, we only have a, a limited amount of time. I don't want to sit here and watch a half an hour show that is really, you know, 35% commercials. Yeah. And then another third is spent recapping what just happened in the, before the last commercial break. And then five minutes is actually new content. The same thing's going to be happening in radio as well. Uh, again, as maybe things start to push toward podcasting, John. Speaking of, of podcasting and content creators on, for example, YouTube, I believe there's a new king for, for podcasts. Right? There is King Markiplier. Uh, <laughs> man, I just boosted that guy's ego. He deserves it. Uh, YouTuber Markiplier. Uh, if you don't know him, he does Let's Plays. So he'll play like video games. John, as I was kind of telling you, I think it's it's more of like an improv session that just uses video games as the prop, as a storytelling device. You overreact to some things. You you kind of use things that are happening in the game in order to spawn little in-jokes and, and stuff like that. But he got into podcasting just recently and has knocked Joe Rogan out of the top spot on Spotify. Uh, which is impressive for the guy that 
signed a multi-million dollar deal to be exclusive on Spotify. The dude's getting his butt whooped. Uh, yeah, this is crazy to to look at. So this guy, Markiplier, has 29.2 million subscribers on YouTube. And if you look at his podcast on, I'm on his Apple page. He's only got two episodes in a trailer. <laughs> he knocked off Joe Rogan, who does podcasting for, that's what he does. He's already got 3.6 thousand ratings. Jeez. And I mean, I guess this kind of just goes to show you that if you have a big megaphone, right, you're going to have a huge audience. What does it show for the future or going forward for Markiplier, his podcast called Distractable? What's that show going forward? I think that's uh, very interesting, John. We were talking about it, you know, specifically before the, the, we started recording that, you know, it, it, it really is just a condensed version of live streams that him and, and two friends have. Uh, they turn it from like, you know, three hour live stream into about 40 minute episode, condensed episode for those people that maybe don't have the time to, to watch him on Twitch. So he's just really kind of recycling content in a, in a large way. Not that's a bad thing, but it's it's a thing. Um, so it's relatively easy to produce, I have to imagine, because uh, again, you're already taking content, you're already doing, you're just whittling away the the boring bits to try to make it the most exciting and, and most cohesive. Going further into what he's doing here with his social media and what he has up on Apple, he's kind of going against the advice that we're giving. I don't know if this is something that he just doesn't care because he's got 2.9 million followers and he can just crush it. Yeah, but I mean, I believe we already see that he's already disappeared off the top ten list, right? So maybe he should start doing doing some things to increase his podcast awareness and discoverability. I mean, he, he's already being discovered, but in order to stay king, I guess. Yes, yes. Well, he started off certainly again on on both Spotify and Apple. He, he kicked things off number one on Apple. He has since dropped outside of the top 10. And when you look at what he's doing to take that 29.2 million subscribers he has on YouTube, I believe like right around 12 million on Twitter and something like 9 million on Instagram, he's not really posting a lot. Um, And that's, you know, for such a large audience, clearly it worked the limited times that he promoted the show on his various social medias. You clearly, you got to number one. So the audience is absolutely there. However, he's not been posting anything since that point so it's it's he's kind of limited to that and again dropped outside of the top 10 so you know the distractible podcast started out number one that could very well be due to mark plyer not pushing it terribly hard on social media he clearly has the audience that will flock to it but only briefly mentions it on social media and a single graphic on instagram so he's seeing that drop off already and and you know that that leads in Pretty perfectly, John, to we're talking about social media today and what you guys need to be doing in order to not have the Markiplier effect, which is a big bang initially and then drop off and, and, and you start loosening those subscribers, you start losing those listeners. So let's let's talk about maybe what what some things Markiplier could be doing to increase that tail, to increase that uh, uh, longevity, to increase the number of people that are listening week in week out now i just want to note on that matt that last week's episode with ariel she had mentioned that social media isn't the 
way to grow your audience or you shouldn't be expecting massive downloads because you have 29 million followers on uh, or was it eight, eight eight million followers on instagram the the best use of social media is what to keep engaged with that already grown audience right when you look at social media i think a lot of people look at it as a way to be discovered and and the reality is an ariel I think clearly stated this in last week's episode that, yeah, I mean, the discoverability aspect of social media is not terribly large. Uh, It can be if you start getting people to share certain things, you might be able to to get outside your sphere of influence. I think it's important to do it with that in mind a little bit. But in reality, social media from a podcaster perspective is really about just engaging with your audience further, reminding them, hey, we have an episode coming up. Hey, this guest is on. Hey, we're talking about this. What do you guys want to hear? That type of audience engagement and reminder that turns week one listener into a week five listener versus just a week one and then drops off and they they go somewhere else. Looking at social media the right way and using it the right way with that in mind, I think is, is the best strategy, especially for podcasters. But really, I think it goes for a lot of businesses. Mm. You're not really going to be discovered on social media, barring you doing ads uh, and, and things like that, which again, for podcasters, we, we talk about return on investment. I don't think there's a ton there for a lot of the ad stuff, certain circumstances. Yes. But for most podcasters, probably not. Yeah. It's all about audience engagement. I, I think just knowing how to use it in that regard. Uh, and with that in mind, when you start thinking about the content you want to produce on social media, uh, will help you out significantly in the long term. And again, for somebody like Markiplier, if he posted every episode that, Hey, we have a new episode. We're talking about this. We're doing this. Here's a funny clip. Um, let's tease it a little bit. He'd probably stay in the top 10 in both Spotify and Apple. Mm -hmm. Clearly that audience is there. He just needs to remind them that, that the podcast exists. So Matt, one of the biggest questions that I get, and I assume you get is what about social profiles? Do we, should we combine them? Should we keep it separate? If you're a brand and you have a separate podcast for your brand, should that be its own social media site or should you promote on the brand site? I know we had that same issue with the the Cuda podcast where initially we started a Cuda podcast on podcasting social pages, but since then we've transitioned to putting everything on the Cuda social pages. It's a question that doesn't have a great answer to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's going to be dependent on your specific scenario. I think overall best practices are you you probably shouldn't have a separate page. And the reason why I say that is because it's difficult enough to gather followers for one page. Doing it for two, three, four pages is a lot more time, a lot more money, a lot more effort that you need to do. And I I think, you know, for a business podcast, this being a great example, we really want listeners to go to queued up and, and potentially hire us for services. I mean, to, to be as transparent as humanly possible, like that's, that's one of our goals here of this podcast is, is to attract new clients. So instead of having a separate social media profile that does nothing for that and is just for the podcast, that's not doing us a whole lot of benefit. It makes a lot more sense to tie that in with other content that we have blogs and, and infographics and Again, that that type of stuff that maybe will will translate listeners into clients eventually. If you are doing your own separate podcast and it's like you know uh, I'm solving this murder in Maine in 1932, 
well then yeah, you're, you're probably going to want a separate page for that. Um, just because it's, it's such a, a niche it's your goal is to grow the audience and, and engage with that audience, not necessarily to turn it into a dollars and cents thing uh, in there. And I look at Markiplier since we were just talking about him again, keep it on the same thing. You already have that audience. You already have that megaphone translate that megaphone into listeners versus having to start from scratch and hopefully get the type of audience that you already have. That could definitely be a downside with uh, if you have a new show, you're, concept hasn't been proven and your audience might not be large enough to support that dedicated page so until you build out that audience i mean maybe once you build out the audience as far as maybe like the markiplier if he has a 2.9 million podcast audience maybe then he could have its own separate podcast page yeah exactly and that's when you know maybe later on down the line that's something that they would think about is hey you know we're having a regular download uh, uh regular listeners of about, you know, one, two, three million people. We want to turn this into a community. Maybe let's transform it into something else. Maybe let's build up a community in, in uh, you know, Clubhouse or YouTube or Twitch or you, any of the other social profiles, Facebook for that matter. Let's build a community in that regard that is sp- specific for this singular podcast. As you see that with some networks as well that have multiple podcasts that maybe aren't you know, isn't an iHeartMedia or anything like that, but it's just a more independent podcaster will maybe have separate ones because each audience is going to be different from the other podcasts. So you want to kind of have a divider there. The thing you should be thinking about initially is building up your total audience and not splitting them up. There are special circumstances in which separate profiles do make a lot of sense, but I think for most users, no. And once you've gotten to that point, you should pretty well know it. So it's just a common sense rule um, that I think uh, applies to that more than anything else. But the short answer is no, John. No, you shouldn't have separate podcast pages unless you should. (laughs) Okay. So we combined the social profile pages, but now you have a page on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Obviously, you have to match your tone on all these platforms, right? You, You have to, they all have to be a similar brand, right? They all have to look the same. Yes and no. Um, so I, I think you want to have a consistent theme. You want to have a consistent tone across everything. Um, that's just good for branding as a whole, but each social media profile really is going to be handled differently. Mm. Instagram is going to be different than Snapchat is going to be different than Pinterest is going to be different than Facebook is going to be different than clubhouse. And then, then Twitter looking at those social media profiles, looking at that audience that you have cultivated for each thing and at the social media platform itself is going to dictate maybe how you do that. So for Instagram, I can do a carousel. That's great. I can put 10 things in there. uh, The top 10 tips of blah, blah, blah. Well, Twitter doesn't have quite as easy of a a way to do that. So I have to create a thread where maybe we have 10 posts for those 10 things. Well, that's going to be different. Um, that's going to be a different way of looking at it. Sizing is going to matter. Photo sizing, you know, Instagram is very much tied to a specific size, Facebook and, and Twitter. You can put various size media up there and it will still show relatively well. All of that stuff is going to be different. So taking the same graphic and posting it on everything isn't a bad strategy. It's a a cost efficient strategy. It's a time efficient strategy. But it's not always the best strategy. And again, I, I think if you're looking at social media and, and how to do it properly, you have to look at each 
platform separately as its own entity with its own audience, with its own demographics, with its own needs and wants. So when you say matching tone, then is that like uh same logo, same color style, or even like a same kind of voice on your posts? Is, is that what you're going for, for tone? Yeah. You want to, you want to have the same brand awareness. You want to have the same color scheme. You want to have the same logo. Largely speaking, you're probably going to want to have a lot of the same graphics you just might know that your Facebook page will do better with infographics with, with value added uh, proposition rather than Twitter, where it's more, it's more discussion oriented. So maybe you, you change the graphic, maybe you change the, the wording, the caption that goes along with it to be more about spawning a discussion rather than Facebook, where maybe you want people to share it, uh, to, to increase your discoverability in that regard or, or to it, it gets some engagement in a different way. Again, Instagram's going to be dramatically different than that as well. And, and your video platforms like Snapchat or, or you know, IGTV or uh, YouTube are, are going to be different even still. So, so yeah, your tone, you want to kind of make it pretty similar. You want to have the brand colors be the same. You want to have the logo be the same. You want to keep a lot of those things very similar. So that way across all the platforms, there's a, a, a similar look and feel to it. But Again, each audience is going to react to things differently. And if you post the same thing across all of them, some of them aren't going to have the same level of engagements as other ones. So once you have the same tone on your on your posts and stuff, the captions that you put in and then the, the, the voicing that you use, you should really include a call to action. For podcasters, that might be come, list, come download the podcast, come give me a review, subscribe, follow. Yeah, we, we talked about goals with newsletters. Uh, in, in a previous episode, the, the same thing applies to social media as well. You got to know what your goal is, but yes, you should have a call to action. Now, like John, you mentioned, you know, that call to action could be rate us on, on Apple podcasts. Uh, the call to action could be for us, you know, contact queued up to help out with your podcast and audiobook needs. Uh, it could be, Hey, we have a new episode out this week. Go download it. It could be any of those things. But you should have a call to action. Every piece of content that you put out really should have something in that regard. It, it should ask the user to do something eventually. Uh, again, it could be just as simple as what are your thoughts? Engage with us here on this platform. Or it could be, you know, spend money on our services or buy our merch. If you do say, come listen to our new episode, make sure you have that link there for them to listen to, right? Put on your Apple or Spotify or you should really be directing people towards your website to listen to these podcasts. Yeah. And, and we, we talked about that a lot again in that, in that website episode that we had a few weeks ago, you know, your website is a great opportunity to a, push people to a singular spot that is really never going to change. They're always going to know it is QD hyphen up.com. If you go there, you're always gonna be able to find our podcast. Well, that's, that's easy enough. So I don't have to redirect you to a new page every single time, or even if you can't click on the link for whatever reason, you know that it's going to be here. Um, so when I say go to our website, you know what our website is. For the case of, of your podcast, yeah, it could be your Spotify link, or it could be your Red Circle link, or your Anchor link, or whatever platform that you're using. Uh, but you should have a link there as much as you can. Uh, in some some of the social media platforms, it's not as easy to do, Instagram being a prime example of that. So you might Again, for like an Instagram, having your website in the bio and you say, hey, links in the bio. You had mentioned about like on Instagram, creating carousels on Twitter, creating threads. This would go into the overall social strategy. 
what other parts can be used in, in a social strategy for a podcast? Well, definitely. I, I think, you know, pull quotes are a big one that we use here. Audiograms are another big one. Instagram stories for maybe that behind the scenes content is always good or things that maybe you want to highlight specifically or tease specifically about a certain episode. The rule of thumb is you want to make unique content. You want to, you want to give people a taste of what you're doing in some form. Um, for businesses, you might want to do more value added stuff that gives people a reason to, again, use your service or listen to your podcast for more information about your service or, or, or about a specialty that you have. For a regular podcaster, it might be, hey, this cool thing we talk about uh, at, at five minutes, you know, this cool little little quip that we mentioned in there, that's a taste of what this episode's going to be about. Or it could even be like behind the scenes stuff too, right? Exactly. Or if you if you have a specific guest on or a specific organization you're highlighting, you can put graphics and tag the the guests and the, the organization that you have on your podcast. Yes, yes. That, that is a, a great little reminder that in whatever social media platform that you're using, things like hashtags and tagging guests, tagging individuals or corporations, if, you, if you're more of a business podcast, is really kind of the baseline standard. Again, it expands your audience. It expands your potential reach out a little bit further. And, and for a lot of podcasts, you know, if you link in a guest that you have, they're more eager to, or more, more likely to share that content as well. Again, you know, that, that's the whole purpose of a cross promotional piece is to further that audience, further your audience into maybe another demographic. So, so certainly doing those things, providing guest graphics and the like is important as well. You had mentioned pull quotes. What are pull quotes? So pull quotes are basically just, you know, quotes from an episode. You're taking it with a certain amount of context. Um, so again, in, in the the sense of five goals of a newsletter, you know, here's goal number one, here's goal number two, goal number three. We can do that as far as a quote goes, uh, where it can be turned into a graphic or just, you know, again, a, a, a funny saying, something that you mention in there. You'll see it a lot in typically your your news stories where a a sentence or two that is either talks about the theme or hints at something a little bit larger in there is typically taken out, made a little bit larger uh, and highlighted in that sense. So that way, if you're just skimming, if you're just taking a quick look, that might catch your eye. And again, you, you have a good feel for maybe what's in that episode specifically. It's, it's a good tease. So taking a quote or having an open question, it definitely encourages a dialogue that increases the amount of views and could lead to more downloads. Not guaranteed, yes. but but could. Yeah, I, I always like to say that, you know, a, any piece of marketing and social media marketing is certainly a, a piece of what you should be doing for your podcast. It's not a yellow brick road. By posting something on social media, you're not going to suddenly have a million downloads. Unless you're Markiplier and, and you already come in with 29.2 million subscribers, that's a little bit easier to do. But for most podcasters, that's that's not the only thing you need to do. It's a part of the cake. Um, right. But if you just have flour in your cake, it's going to be a pretty bad tasting. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty, yeah. You know, I, I love my food puns, uh, my, my <laughs> analogies, but it's just a piece of the recipe. So don't expect a single episode graphic to suddenly rocket you up the, the Spotify charts. Uh, again, for most people, it's a piece of the puzzle. Another piece that we mentioned is the, the audiogram, which it's an animated waveform 
that visually represents your audio clip and when combined with a still image or a video background and or a transcript it can really catch a lot of attention and engagement and people's really busy feeds i guess you could say and kind of what we've seen you can use video to promote your podcast to get more engagement than some static image posts or or pull quotes can get on social it might sound like a lot of work but there are some tools out there that can help you easily make these animations from your audio clips we use headliner to create some of our audiograms another place is called Ophonic. yeah it's it's a matter of uh you know john you mentioned it right there audiograms and video content especially help break things up typically on your social medias facebook twitter you're going to see a lot of static images that's what typically is out there so if you're able to put up a a short video uh again whether that be like a slightly animated background with an audio wave file that's bouncing over top of it or a transcript that's reading out um, or, or even just a slideshow with some narration over top of it, that tends to catch people's eye a little bit more, tends to get more engagement. Now, that being said is if your feed is nothing but audiograms and short little videos, people are going to be less interested in clicking over time. So you still need to disperse some things, use them sparingly, using to as kind of the the top highlight of something that you want to do, not everything. I think one more thing that should be included in your your social strategy or in your social media marketing is your community engagement. Your Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, Slack channels, forums. These are all great ways to give your listeners a platform to communicate with you and one another. Really, social media, again, it's it's bread and butter if you're using it properly is more about just increasing engagement with your already existing subscribers. Uh, you know, we had talked about at the top of the show, the radio listeners that opted into an email newsletter tend to be the most hardcore. The people that are following you on one or more social media channels tend to be your more ardent supporters, tend to be your, your, your subscribers, really. So by getting a hold of them, by increasing your engagement with them, they're more likely to continue listening uh, and from a discoverability standpoint, they are more apt to then tell their friends. And as we know in marketing, a word of mouth referral is always the best referral. If John, if you tell me, Matt, you need to listen to the survive and thrive podcast. I'm probably going to listen to the survive and thrive podcast. <laughs> Great podcast. You should listen to survive and thrive podcast. See, there we go. I, I, <laughs> right there. I'm now going to listen. I mean, I already do the show notes for it, but uh, so I already listened to it, but it is a fantastic podcast. That's something you can use there from from a, a social media standpoint. It's all about building community. And, and as I talk about a lot when it comes to marketing, it's all about sweat equity. Yeah. If you if you put in the hours to create a community or to go into Facebook communities and, and groups, to go into Reddit, to to post your content there and start a dialogue with people, you are more likely to get in subscribers that way. If you just post the occasional graphic on, on your social media, you're not. Um, and that's okay, too. There's a different strategy around that, but it's just all about how much time and effort do you want to put into those things uh, and what are you going to get out of it? Is it worth it? That's going to be different for each podcast. That's going to be different for each individual. It's going to be different probably on a day-to-day -day basis, John. Before we end, I, I definitely wanted to go into probably the question we get asked the most, and that is, what is the best time? To post on social media what's the best day to post on social media and there was a recent article from sprout social on the best times to post on social media in 2021 and i'd just like to take a look at this and it kind of go with, over what they say and 
get your opinions on this, Matt. So Sprout Social is a social media management platform. So it's typically used by agencies or you know, for you as a podcaster, you might want to use that in order to manage all of your social media in one individual spot. It makes things maybe a little bit easier, gives you some additional analytics that you might be able, not be able to get as easily from your social media platforms. And again, has it all in kind of one handy spot. That being said, is the downside is they typically cost a little bit of money to go ahead and use. So Sprout Social grabbed all the information that they have from their hundreds of thousands of paid subscribers and found out some of their best times to post. Now, it's going to be different for each platform. It's going to be different for each podcast. It's going to be different for everything. So take some of this with a grain of salt. And one thing I want to say right off the top, these are good outlines. These are good things maybe to start with. You should test. You should do your own analytics. You should see what's working for you and what isn't working for you because what's going to do something for a car dealership probably isn't going to work the same for you if your audience is, is maybe preteens. So keep that in mind. But Sprout Social says the best times to post on Facebook is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Fridays around 10 to 2 p.m. or 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it says the worst day here is on Saturday to post. And that is largely speaking the case on all of the platforms. The worst day is going to be the weekends, uh, whether that be Saturday or Sunday. It makes sense when you think about it. Most people aren't on social media as much on the weekends. They're out doing things, maybe not so much during the pandemic, but they're out doing things. They're, they're enjoying that family time. One thing from my experience as a writer and as someone who did daily content, we always used to push our stuff out right around the six, seven o'clock in the morning times, try to have a bunch of content up by about 10 o'clock in the morning in order to grab those people who are commuting to work, grab those people who maybe are at work and just don't feel like working in the mornings. And I know we've all been there. We've all sat down to our computer and went, you know what? I wonder what Facebook has to say right now. I wonder what Reddit's got going on. Uh, and, and you procrastinate until about lunchtime when you grab a meal and you're like, all right, I actually, I need to do some work today or I'm going to get fired. That corresponds with exactly what Sprout's seeing is typically, you know, the early mornings between about nine and again, 3 p.m. is what they have for Twitter. 11 and two is for Instagram and 9 a.m. to noon for LinkedIn. So you're going to grab those people that maybe are procrastinating a little bit and are looking for something to attract their attention. That's going to be it for you. So the thing that's noticeable here is that all these platforms pretty much have the same best days to post on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. Yeah. And and again, all of this is going to be dependent on your audience. Your audience might only be around on weekends. Um, So don't take this as gospel. Take this as a good jumping off point. But Again, it makes sense. You know, Mondays, maybe you're a little bit more hungry for work. You're, you're mm-hmm. trying to get into it to get, knock some stuff out that maybe you didn't get finished up last week. Whereas Tuesday, Wednesday, you're, you're talking about midweek. I'm a little bit more bored. I've already got some stuff up. We're kind of in the hurry up and wait phase of work. It, again, it all makes sense. So yeah, the, the early start of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are probably going to be your best times. Again, that morning commute through about lunchtime is about across the board is going to be about your best times to post. I've also found that a lot of the times you will get a jump back up right around like the seven o'clock mark PM. And that's typically you're done with dinner. You're relaxing, maybe watching TV and you're browsing social media just to catch up on everything. 
else that has happened throughout the day that you missed in the afternoon when you were actually doing some work. So again, I want to clarify, take all that with a grain of salt, do your own testing. If you post what other people tell you to post, when they tell you to post, you're not going to be as successful as looking at what your audience is digesting and when they're digesting it to figure it out what works best for you. Now, the one thing I like about the Sprout Social Report is that it actually goes into the specific industries. So best times to post on social media for the tech industry, looking at what they have here for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter engagement, it it really comes out to pretty close to what we're actually seeing ourselves on, on the queued up social pages. Yes, like you said, you have to go in and see what your specific audience is doing. But these are, I mean, they're, they're, it's a pretty good guideline, pretty good, at least a place to start. Well, and, and I think that's why it's great to use services or, or, or to look at information from services like Sprout Social. Buffer, I know, also releases their kind of information as well. They've got, again, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. So they get a chance to take that data across a wide variety. We've talked about sample size on this podcast before. Places like Sprout Social and Buffer and, and things like that have a large sample size and of a lot of different industries. So again, maybe not specific for your industry, but is a good jumping off point. If you're just getting started and you're thinking, okay, when should I be posting? If you use this as a good guideline to start off with, you're, you're not going to go wrong. It's not going to hurt you. But you might want to, again, post the occasional other thing in different times just to see maybe there's more engagement at this time than there is on this. Maybe there's more engagement with this type of content than with this type of content for this audience. So you throw enough stuff at the wall, you figure out what works, and, and then you can craft your, your social media strategy very specifically according to that. But if you're just getting started, yeah, nine to about one is your time to post Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe you want to go ahead and do something. Uh, you know, tweak your strategy a little bit. Maybe you want to post at different times. Maybe you want to post different types of content. That might be your your best time to experiment with your audience. That's wonderful, Matt. I think we've got a pretty comprehensive social strategy plan here for growing your audience. I think so too, John. And and you know, we end pretty much every episode by saying this: it's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that goes into this. Um, make, make no bones about it. While while we've given you a good outline and a good uh, uh, core to start with, you know, we understand it's not always easy to run all your social channels. I mean, there's like a million of them now. So uh, if you need help running your social channels, if you need help, maybe running some Facebook ads or managing all of that content, creating unique content, John, I'm pretty sure I know who they can contact. Matt. Yeah, specifically me. You can contact uh, Queued Up, which is QD up.com info at queuedup.com or on any of our social channels. Absolutely. Again, reach out to us if you need any help or if you have any questions as you go through our social media and start looking at what we're doing, comment and, uh, you know, share some of our posts as well. And, and, uh, you know, let us know what you guys need help with on some posts. If you head on over to our Instagram this week, we will be having a few polls out there and we'll ask you guys right here, what's your preferred social media platform? What are you seeing the most engagement on? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Is it maybe Clubhouse that's just started up? In addition to that, 
what type of content is working best for you? Are you getting great engagement on quotes? Are you getting great engagement and comments back on video content, on audiograms? You let us know in the comments and go ahead and fill out those polls when we post them up on Instagram this week. As always, that is the queued up podcast on podcasting. We hope you had fun talking about Markiplier uh, and his beating Joe Rogan. We hope you had some fun talking about how radio listeners are converting themselves over to podcast listeners instead and a deep dive on social media strategy and how you can use social media to increase your audience engagement and perhaps even a little bit of discoverability as well. Uh, as always, I'm Matthew Stevens, and that was John Luckenball. Thank you and see you guys next week.